Welcome to Murder and Mayhem, the podcast where we explore the dark and mysterious side of writing. It's a world filled with more evil and crime than you can shake a sharpened stick at, where people save the world from certain destruction, where spies, terrorists and thugs abound, and where the killer could be someone in your very own home. It's also a world often filled with flawed heroes and likeable villains. But above all, it's a place where we explore the authors who tell these very stories, what makes them tick, and how their words manage to take us to some of the darkest corners of our imaginations. Hello everyone, my name's Valerie Koo and I'm host of the Murder and Mayhem pop-up podcast. This episode is brought to you by the popular online course, Anatomy of a Crime, How to Write About Murder. Over eight spine-chilling modules, you'll delve into each step of the murder process, including the psychological, forensic and legal aspects of homicide from premeditation right through to prison life. Brought to you by one of the world's leading centres, for writing courses, the Australian Writers' Centre. Using both real and fictional cases, you'll discover the many faces of killers, the police who pursue them, and the victims who get caught in the killer's trap, all designed to enhance your crime and thriller writing and help you bring writing about death to life. It's a self-study course with a full audio program, including accompanying handouts and videos and resources where you can view real forensic and police reports and a dissection of real murder scenes. Find out more at murdercourse.com. That's murdercourse.com. This is Valerie Koo, and I hope you're enjoying Murder and Mayhem, the podcast where we bring the world's best crime and thriller authors to you. Now, you get to hear them in your ears or in through your earphones, but you can also get to read about them through our ebook, which you can get for free. Now, you can get that at murdercourse.com, and it's called A Month of Murder and Mayhem. Spend 31 days with the world's best crime and thriller authors. So, if you like, you can do it very intensively and just have a look at one author per day and look at their insights and how you can apply that to your own writing or crime and thriller reading. Or you can choose to space it out if you would prefer to have a little bit more of a laid back pace to it. So you can get that for free at murdercourse.com. Now today we're talking to Tom Rob Smith and I had a great chat to him. He is a British thriller author and his novel, Child 44, was nominated for a number of awards and was also listed in the Man Booker Prize and produced into a film starring Tom Hardy, the very talented actor Tom Hardy. Tom Rob Smith has also written The Farm and Agent Six. Now, all of these interviews with authors in the Murder and Mayhem podcast first appeared in our other podcast called So You Want to Be a Writer. And that's where we interview authors from all sorts of genres and countries and and uh, walks of life, including publishers and editors and other people involved in the publishing process. But here, this is where we've curated all of the crime and thriller authors, the best crime and thriller authors, so you can hang out with them all in one spot. Anyway, I hope you enjoy our chat with Tom Rod Smith. Tom, thanks for joining us today. Uh, it's my pleasure to be with you. Now, your first novel, Child 44, was very well received and highly acclaimed. How did it feel to be so successful with your first outing? 
Well, of course, it was my first in terms of the first that had been published, but I've been working on things for quite a quite a time, you know, either half finished novels or various screenplays and um and uh, TV shows. So it was it you know, it wasn't completely out of the blue. So I don't think um you know, I don't think it was a kind of seismic shock. I wasn't doing a sort of another profession. I felt like it was kind of it was it was part of what I'd always been working on. How did you get into writing in the first place? What attracted you to the profession of writing? Um, I've always loved stories. I think it was, you know, I, it was a mixture of, I didn't quite understand when I was sort of seven that I wanted to be a writer, but I knew I loved fiction. I knew I loved movies and I loved theatre and I loved TV and books. And I didn't really distinguish between them in the sense, you know, I loved Roald Dahl, I loved the movies of Steven Spielberg and Robert Zemeckis and, and uh, and then, you know, when I sort of got to 14 and 15, I thought, you know, how can I get into this world? And I guess I thought about directing. And I guess I thought about other other avenues. But it was always writing that seemed to me the most, I don't know, the one that I fitted into neatly. And um, and I think it was, you know, really started from there. I think it was a story, story. Love the story. So then after studying at Cambridge, you um, <clears throat> continued creative writing studies in Italy. So why Italy? Well, I didn't. It wasn't a creative writing course. What it was is it was a um, it was an exchange. So that mm. the Italian University of Pavia could send three students to my university, and um, my university could send one back for the entire year, and, and that was me for that year. And I had the option of doing anything I wanted to, basically. So it was essentially just giving that individual a year um, where you know you had a nice room, you had all your you know food paid for, and then you could just use that time to do whatever you wanted. And people had done all kinds of things, academic pursuits, they'd done musical pursuits. And for me, it was just a chance to start writing um, full time. So you went into script writing and then wrote Child 44. So what was the transition like when you, because when you sit down, you write a script, it is much more self-contained, and you do it in a shorter period of time. Was it hard to transition into writing an entire novel? Yeah, that, I mean, that's, that's I think that's sort of spot on, and one of the big differences. I mean, you can get a script done in a relatively compressed amount of time. Once you've worked out the story, I mean, you can get one again in I guess about two months, and that's that's not that's not an ungenerous amount of time. Maybe a bit longer, maybe a bit less. And a book is a real is like climbing a mountain. It took two years to get Child 44 done. And, you know, it's difficult if it's a speculative novel and you're not commissioned and you think, you know, is this even worth doing? Is it ever going to be published? Mm. There are times during, you know, when you have, like everyone does, you know, bad days and bad weeks and you're thinking, is this is this project worth pushing forward with? Whereas if the project is shorter, you know that you're closer to the end. So that's definitely one of the challenges, I think, of getting a novel done. So how do you keep the faith in those two years, especially, as you say, when you haven't been commissioned? Well, I think an important part of it is, and I just did this workshop in Melbourne Writers Festival on this, you know, pretty much on this subject, was really work out your idea at the beginning. Really think it through so that you really believe in it. And with Childhood, I always knew this was a great idea and this was an interesting period. And whenever I had tough times, I could, you know, I knew that this was a book that I wanted to finish and would really work. And so I think that early preparation, really sort of working on the story and understanding what the book would be. Um, was the sort of the remedy for those tough days. Now, your latest novel is The Secret Speech. Tell us about it. Yeah, it is the same um, main character. And at the end of Child 4, this, this, this is a detective who has, has sort of spent his career arresting innocent people. And in Child 44, he decides to redeem himself by going after the one guilty person. 
who in fact is protected by the state. And so he sort of criminalizes himself by doing the right thing. He thinks that by putting his life on the line that way, he kind of redeems himself. In the second book, it's really about that question of how redemption, is redemption really possible? If you've arrested all these innocent people, what what value is it to say to them that you've, you've done this good thing? I mean, how does that repair their destroyed lives? And it's set against the backdrop of a, a regime that has Stalin is now dead and Khrushchev's in power. And Khrushchev is releasing the people from the gulags, and they're coming back into society and meeting the people that denounced them, meeting the people that arrested them and that destroyed their lives. That's really set against the backdrop of that very fractious tension. So why did you choose to set your books in 1950s Russia? What, what appealed to you about that? Well, the original story that Trial 44 is based on, um, uh, rather the original case it was based on was set in Russia, and it was very particularly Russian in the sense that it was it was a, a killer who had killed for 10 years because not he got away with it for so long, not because he was a kind of criminal genius, but because the state denied that he could even exist. And so the story and the location were sort of inextricable. I mean, my decision to move it back to the 50s was just that the 50s were far more extreme. So the things that the case um, embodied, like the um, the way in which a state would criminalize you if you disagreed with it, were more um, more extreme in the 50s. That was why I moved it back to then. Um, but the country, and it never crossed my mind to set it anywhere else. I mean, the story and the country were sort of bound together. How did you research Russia in the 1950s? What did you do? Well, oh, in the 50s. Well, I mean, that was obviously travel. But I mean, I would I would say far and above the travel was was just the the um, the books. Um, obviously, the history books are wonderful, brilliantly written, and um, wonderful. Never a chore. Uh, never. I don't think I came across a single book that I found. Um, sort of awkward or uninteresting. Mm. And um, then there were also a sort of wealth of, um, of material that was sort of confiscated by the secret. It's sort of irony. The secret police confiscated all these diaries that probably would have been lost um, and were never intended for publication, particularly one by a 13-year-old girl. Mm. And then, you know, they've just been reproduced now. So you can, you know, you can read this girl's diary and you know, suddenly you're sort of in her world in 1930, in 1934, I think it was like before she her diary was confiscated and it even includes all the sort of annotations that the secret police made on the diary of what was anti-Soviet and what wasn't. So there was a lot of material there to sort of get you into that world. And I just concentrated on the emotional questions rather than, say, the material details. Right. So when you plan your story, do you are you one of those writers that actually plot it out? You're very clear what's going to happen to your characters or do you let it flow out? No, I plan. I mean, that. I mean, in a way, that was one of the reasons I knew I could finish the book because I kind of knew what the whole story was, and I knew it had a, it knew it had a whole shape. I mean, I definitely plan in some detail, but of course, even, um, you know, even if I spent say two months on a storyline, which is you know a reasonable amount of time on a storyline, but not an extreme amount of time. I've had writers that spend far more. Um, even then, obviously, compared to two years on a book, you're going to come up with new ideas, and it's going to change, and it's going to adapt, and. There's always improvisation and, and shifts along the way. I think it's just good to have a general sense of the direction it's going, even if you decide to change direction. It's, it's good to know that you're you're deliberately doing that and there was a different endpoint. So um, I plan quite carefully, yeah. Did the secret speech also take you two years? Yeah, it took two Exactly. I mean, the, the thing about the secret speech was that I, I started it once I... Um, once I sold Chart 44, which was a year before it was published, although it looks like it only took a year because it came out a year after the Chart 44 was published. In fact, it was a two-year, two-year writing period. And also because I, you know, when I wrote Chart 44, I didn't have 
uh, I wasn't getting any money from running to Africa before. I had to do other jobs. So I had to sort of share the time with um, other writing projects, working on other people's shows. Whereas with The Secret Speech, those two years were, you know, I, did, I, I just worked on The Secret Speech. Are you writing your third novel now? Yeah, I'm taking a bit of a break. I'm doing two screenplays, one for Warner Brothers and one for Universal, just as a sort of gear shift after doing those two novels back to back. But um, yeah, I'm sort of a, a third of the way through the third book. So tell us about your typical writing day. When you're in the middle of writing a novel, do you have a routine or structure to your day or how does that work? Yeah, no, I'm pretty routine. I, I get up quite early. I like writing in the sort of early morning. I get up at maybe 6.30 and I start writing maybe about 6.357. And, uh, you know, I work through to midday and then I'll go for a walk, have lunch, and then I'll sort of work through to about 7. I very rarely work in the evening. Sometimes I do, I guess. That's a long day. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess it is quite long. I mean, it never feels particularly, you know, arduous because... Um, you know, you can sort of potter around and make cups of tea, you know, you have anyone shout at you. I mean, you know, as long as you're good at maintaining that discipline, I don't think it, it, it doesn't ever feel like it's a tough routine to keep in a way. Do you have a word quota, or how do you feel satisfied that you've done a good day's work? Um, yeah, it's, it's a good question in a sense. I mean, you do kind of have quotas, but I couldn't. It's not like a, it's not like the sort of famous five hundred words a day kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's more like you know where you need to be getting by, say, the end of the week or the end of the month, and so you know some days you're pushing forward a bit further because you you feel that you feel that you're kind of behind, and some days you're dragging a bit. I mean, those are, are flexible to an extent, but it's more you build them in terms of points in the book or points in the screenplay that you need to get to. Now, I understand you did some work in Cambodia, is that correct? Yeah, I worked on Cambodia's first ever soap opera. Was it in Khmer? Yeah, it was. I mean, I worked on the storylines, so I worked on those in English. And then I had a a team of um, uh, Cambodian writers, and they were just out of university, and they um, would write the screenplays, in uh, the the teddy screenplays in, um, in Khmer. We would then have them translated, and I would sort of work with giving notes on those and the notes. It was a weird sort of a weird sort of triangle. You had a sort of a, a sort of English to Khmer through through a sort of translator. It was I mean the whole thing was 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 amazing, um, and I've never worked on anything quite like it. How did you get involved in that? It's quite well, the, unusual. Yeah, the BBC uh, set up have a sort of charitable arm called BBC World Service Trust, which is funded by DFID, which is the Department of International Development in England. And they um, and um, they make these shows sort of around the world, and they're trying to, the idea is that you use the popularity of the medium to get across health messages about either mother-child health care or HIV-AIDS or a whole range, which vary, a whole range of topics which varied obviously on the location and what was important, whether it, you know, it might be the malaria area or it might not be. And so, um, you know, you would then build those health messages into the sort of story of the day. And um, I think that, you know, because it was a BBC, I think I saw an ad in a in a in a newspaper or a sort of trade paper, and I just applied for it. Wow! How long did you spend there? I was in Phnom Penh for six months. Wow! Did you get to do much writing at the time, or did your time there influence any of your work projects? Well, I did start on a screenplay. I started on a screenplay, um, which I then sold to Universal Studios after I sold Child 44. So it was this weird sort of 
no one really wanted it until, or I couldn't get anyone to read it basically until I sold Childhood Hall and I can get people to read it and, and I sold it. So I actually started on that project in Cambodia. Right. And what is that about? That's a original thriller set in the States and it's a, it's a revenge thriller, but um, with a sort of big twist. Mm. And um, I understand that film rights to Child 44 have also been sold. Um, are you going to be writing the screenplay for that? No, the screenplay was written by uh, has been written. It's been written by Richard Price, who uh, wrote Lush Life and uh, Clockers. Um, and uh, it's a brilliant script. I just read it actually a couple of months ago. Is that weird? Because you write scripts yourself. And is that weird to see something that you've written then sort of being redone by someone else in another medium? Well, I mean, in a way, even if I'd written the script, it would have been weird because it was it's then changing something into something else. And that process is always a strange thing if you understand it in one form to see it in a different form. Um, so it's, it would have been weird in some form, whoever had written the script, whether it had been me or not. I mean, the fact that it's a great writer writing the script obviously makes it... Um, sort of exciting rather than sort of bad weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in some ways you need distance to make that that transformation. I mean, obviously there are lots of writers who are able to do it themselves, but it's a difficult thing to do. Um, and so it was never really, never really, never really an issue. Is there any actor in particular who you would see in the lead role? Oh, uh, yeah, there are a couple. I mean, I can't go into sort of speculating because, I mean, mm-hmm. if they then cast someone else, it looks like I'm <laughs> opposed to that person. But, I mean, in some ways... Um, the great thing about having Ricky Scott as um, the director and sort of producer is that is that he's a brilliant caster and he picks people and you suddenly think, wow, yeah, that person would be great in that role. Mm. What's been the highlight of your career so far? Highlight of my career? Mm. I guess, you know, the it's, it's hard to pin it down, but I guess that first moment when... You know, you'd sent the book off and you were sort of, I remember sending it off and I had this, I had this self-defense mechanism, which is I always start working on something else as soon as I send something off mm. because I was just, you know, you need to sort of brace yourself for the possibility that it's going to be rejected. And I remember very clearly the sort of the first sort of sale to the UK when I was going to get published. And that was a really great moment. And then when it sold in the US, that was a really great moment. And then when it started selling internationally as well, which I think I just never thought about, I don't know why. Right. Um, that was a really wonderful moment. So I guess that was that was the high. What's been the most challenging thing about your career so far? Or what is the most challenging thing about being a writer? What's challenging, I guess. Well, you know, it's not for everyone, I guess, but then nor is anything. I mean... I don't particularly, I guess it's, I don't particularly find any, I mean, I love writing. I love the routine. It, it, it sort of fits with my personality, I guess. I like, I like kind of working for myself. I like structuring my own day. All of those things which could be difficult for other people are kind of a, a nice fit for me. So none of it has ever been, you know, I would never sort of could see anything as being particularly arduous about that. There's obviously a fair bit of research, especially when something is set in Russia in another historical period, and you've mentioned some of the research that you've done. Do you do all the research first and then when you feel you have what you need, you start writing, or do you write and then fill in the gaps with research? It's a bit of both. I do like a good chunk to start off with so that I'm sort of, I'm not completely clueless, basically. Mm. But then obviously, research is an endless process. I mean, you could read forever on these subjects. And so you continue reading 
you learn new things. And in a way, that's part of the fun because it reinvigorates passages that you've you've done and you see new things that you can work in and uh, you go back and you rewrite. and you. So it's a, it's a constant process. Mm. And finally, what would your advice be to aspiring authors, people who are listening to this and thinking, oh, I really want to get my book out there? Well, I would say, you know, going back to our, you know, the thing we were talking about earlier, I would say really work on that idea before you set off on it. Really think it through. Is this is this the idea you want to work on for the next sort of year, year and a half, two years? Is this the project you really believe in? Because so many people out there get to chapter four or five and then stop. Mm. And in the end, you can't do anything with that. You can't send it off to a publisher, really. It's very difficult to get anyone interested in five chapters. Mm. But finishing something, is, or even if it gets rejected, you will get people to have read it. You will get feedback. I just think finishing something is the key. And on that note, thank you very much for your time today, Tom. Nice being to you. There you go, Tom Rob Smith. Now, I love what Tom says about the fact that you really need to think about whether this idea is going to sustain you for the next year or year and a half or the next two years or maybe three years or however long it is that it's going to take you to write your first draft. Because if you don't really love it, if you're not going to be really into it, then you might get halfway through the book and and just lose interest and it peter off. So I really encourage you, as Tom has done as well, to really think about your idea and really flesh it out beyond an idea to something that you really can sink your teeth into so that you can get to the end of the novel. Because how many times, how many people do we know who have half-finished novels in their bottom drawer? You don't want to be one of those people. You want to actually finish it because you can't get published unless you have a finished novel. So make sure your idea is one that you're really going to be passionate about and that's going to keep you going through the times when you think it's going to be tough because then the rewards are going to be worth it. The Murder and Mayhem podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, one of the world's leading centres for writing courses, with online and classroom writing courses in all genres of writing, including crime writing. Students enrol from all over the world. You'll find a course to suit your needs right here at writerscentre.com.au.